You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I thought it was a hoax. I guess it's not. Those were the famous last words, or those were among the last words, of a man who died of COVID-19 in a hospital in Texas last week. According to Dr. Jane Appleby, chief medical officer at Methodist Hospital in San Antonio, the man told one of his nurses that he attended a COVID party, a party where at least one guest is known to have COVID because he didn't think the virus was real. Spoiler alert, it is. It is real. It is not a hoax. There are 13 million confirmed cases around the world, 600,000 deaths, 3.5 million people in the United States have been confirmed to have contracted COVID-19, and 140,000 Americans are dead. The disease is spreading out of control in Texas and Arizona and Florida and California, so yeah, it's real. It is not a hoax. COVID parties, on the other hand, I'm thinking those might be a hoax. According to the New York Times, some health experts are casting doubt on whether or to what extent COVID parties are really happening. That hospital in San Antonio where the guy who attended that COVID party in San Antonio died, they didn't release the name of the man who died after he told the nurse he made a mistake by going to that party, and they didn't release the name of the nurse who heard his last or close to last words. There's nothing in news reports about health officials in San Antonio trying to track down other people who attended the party where this man got infected. So color me skeptical. Stories about COVID parties remind me of stories I read about rainbow parties back in the early 1990s. At rainbow parties, teenage girls put on different shades of lipstick and then took turns giving blowjobs to teenage boys, leaving covered rings up and down their cocks until they looked like... I guess until all the boys looked like they were wearing rainbow tube socks on their dicks. It was a popular moral slash sex panic story that only people who'd never given or received a blowjob or never met or never were teenage boys could possibly believe. The point of those rainbow party stories was to scare parents, to convince parents they shouldn't let their daughters leave the house or buy lipstick at the mall or, again, leave the house. The point of a COVID party story is to instill fear, too. And in contrast to stoking fear of teenage sexuality and unrealistic expectations about lipstick, there is something to fear here. Unlike blowjobs, COVID-19 is actually something we should all be afraid of, very afraid. But lots of people don't seem to be because people are going to parties, not COVID parties, which may or may not be happening, just parties. But guess what? In the United States right now, all parties are COVID parties. And all restaurants are COVID restaurants, and all bars are COVID bars, and all Disney worlds are COVID worlds, the tragic kingdom. So if you read that story about that guy in Texas who went to that COVID party because he thought it was a hoax and then died, and you thought, ah, what an idiot, and then you turned around and went to a bar or a restaurant or a barbecue or motherfucking Disney World, you're just as big an idiot as that guy who died in that hospital in Texas after going to that party. If you don't believe it's a hoax, but behave just as recklessly as people who do, the odds that you'll say your last words in a bed in an ICU to a nurse are pretty good and getting better around here every day. So, people, if you want to party when this is over, 
stay home as much as possible for now. Maintain physical distance, wear a mask, or you can act like it's already over and your friends can raise a glass to your memory at a party when it is actually over. At least the friends you didn't infect and kill. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining us for this week's magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, more guests, no ads. Comedian Jay Jordan joins us to tackle some of your sex questions. And a programming note, on Thursday, July 30th, Nancy and I will be doing another Savage Love live stream on Zoom. It was so much fun last month when we did a live stream. We are doing it again. Go to savagelovecast.com slash events to get your tickets. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a gay male in my mid-40s calling from New England with an unexpected quarantine sex story. At the beginning of the pandemic, I joined a popular jerk-off website and have been having a great time chatting and camming with other horny men anonymously. Last week, I saw this guy who caught my eye in particular. He had a beautiful cock and body, and really seemed to be enjoying himself on camera. So I messaged him to tell him, and happily, he expressed the same about me. I asked if he would show his face, And after chatting back and forth, we decided to video chat with each other privately to do so. So there we were with cocks and hands and faces on camera. And immediately I recognized this guy. He was a professional colleague with whom I had collaborated a couple of times over the years. We hadn't seen each other or been in touch in a very long time. So as you can imagine, it was quite the surprise for us both. After catching up some and trying to convince ourselves that it wasn't too weird, we said it was nice to see each other and ended the video chat. But over the next few days, I was so turned on and almost giddy about the whole experience that I decided to message him and let him know. And happily, he said he too was still buzzing about it and was glad that he wasn't the only one. So we agreed to meet up again online very soon. If there's a moral to this story... Perhaps it was worth getting caught with my pants down. Thanks, Dan, for all you do and for helping to keep us all sane. The moral of the story for you may be that it's not always bad to get caught with your pants down. But the moral of this story for me is a million people are going to call in and ask, what is this jack-off site where you found the hot guy with the ripped body? They're going to want to know where they can find him and you and all the other guys jacking off online. So I don't know the answer. Maybe you'll call back. Maybe you'll share that with us and we can play it in the update. But don't ask me, listeners, don't ask me where this website is because I am pure and innocent and ignorant of what website he was referring to. Thank you so much for your call. If you want us to start the show with your sexy quarantine story or even just your sexy success story, give us a buzz, phone it in, and we might open the show with your story next week. Hey, Dan. I am a 25-year-old gay man living in... Colorado at the moment, and I just had a question in terms of a relationship I'm in. I I get that everyone has their own age differences and age gaps. Uh, I just wanted to have your take on it of if it would be something detrimental down the road. So my partner who I met in Colorado at a bar, of course, is a good bit older than me. He is 39 years old, and I know 
in the grand scheme of things, that's not incredibly different, but that is a giant age gap. And I always notice every time we hang out that we definitely have differences. I mean, the relationship is great. We both love each other very much. Everything is just fantastic. So I guess my question to you is, is is this something to keep pursuing? I, I want to keep actively pursuing it. And I'm actually an Alabama native, but I'm sticking it out to be able to see if it's worth the shot. And so far, so good. Sex is great, and we just get along. He's He's been the only guy I've been able to actually open up to and be fully comfortable with in a very long time. And I just don't want the age gap to be something that would cause a giant concern for the future. Uh, we've talked about it. It doesn't seem that big of an issue. I just want to see your take on it. You don't want the age gap to derail this relationship. And yet you're thinking, at least considering, ending this relationship, this fantastic, terrific relationship with someone that you feel comfortable with, someone you've opened up to in a way you've never opened up to anyone else. You're contemplating ending this relationship. That's why you're calling me because of the age gap. Well, if you don't want the age gap to derail the relationship, don't end the relationship for no other reason than the age gap, which is 13 14 years, which is significant, but not enormous. There are people out there in successful long-term relationships where there are decades that separate the partners as opposed to one single measly decade and change. What you're doing is you're gaming this out. Will this relationship last forever and ever and ever? And will this thing that is not a problem now become a problem down the road? And the answer is not all relationships last forever and ever and ever. And that's fine. A relationship can end. It's something that two people can exit and still be friends and have learned and grown together and benefited from being in that relationship. Let's say you stay in this relationship despite the age gap and in three or four more years, it ends for other reasons. Well, what did you learn in this relationship? Well, you learned that you can connect. You learned that you can make yourself vulnerable. You learned that you can open up to somebody. So even if this relationship should end, which is, of course, the concern here that you're attaching entirely to the age gap, when there's lots of other reasons why relationships with or without age gaps ends, if it indeed ends, that doesn't mean it failed. It doesn't mean that you didn't benefit from being in it. It doesn't mean that you aren't better for it and won't look back on it, grateful for having been in this relationship as you head off into a newly single life or head off into another relationship down the road. A quick digression about differences. It's good to have some differences kind of built into a relationship. You want there to be certain unbridgeable gaps and maybe age and experience is an unbridgeable gap that rather than turn it into a problem, you can turn it into something that you enjoy, that you both bring different sort of generational, although it's only 13, 14 years, we're talking about perspectives to the table. And this is, you know, that's what drives a lot of eroticism. It's like a gap that must be bridged or an unbridgeable gap. And, and, and sometimes people, you know, identify differences in the relationship and think, oh, it cannot survive because of these differences. When actually, if you learn to celebrate the differences and enjoy them and lean into them and not try to solve them, the differences can be stabilizing. It is working. It is working for you right now. You say that you met in a bar. Well, that option's off the table for the moment for all of us, particularly folks in California and Texas and the United States of America. We are not getting this coronavirus under control. And so why end it? Why even contemplate ending something that works and will be hard to 
replace at a moment like this, even if COVID wasn't an issue, even if there wasn't some external force that would make finding a new partner at this moment extremely difficult, there is literally no friction in this relationship except the meaning and importance that you are attaching to the age difference. Look around. Think about the people in your life. You must know people who are in relationships with age gaps that were similar, as large, or larger. And even if those relationships ended, they benefited from being in them. You are benefiting from being in this relationship. Enjoy it. It'll work for as long as it works. When it stops working, you can reassess. But at this moment, dude, suck his dick. Enjoy his old fucking daddy dick for as long as he's slamming it into And yes, that is me making an assumption attached to age that may or may not be true about who is the top or who is the bottom. Hopefully you're both verse, verse kids rule the world. Hey, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, 29-year-old gay male in Colorado. My question today is, is it okay to break up with somebody because of mental illness? Um, it's a touchy subject and I am very conflicted about it. My partner and I have been together for a year and a half. Uh, we actually dated once three years ago. Um, got back together because it looked like he'd been taking care of himself and he'd been doing all this stuff. And a year and a half later, you know, the mask comes off. Here we are. And he is really, really unstable. Uh... I feel like I'm walking a tightrope all the fucking time. I'm walking on eggshells. It's, it is tumultuous. Um, I am fairly successful. He definitely benefits from that as far as where we live. We live together. Um, you know, our lifestyle. And I just don't know how much longer I can take it. And I feel bad. I feel really bad. I do love him, but I think our relationship has taken more of, uh, I, like, I kind of feel like his parent or, oh God, our caretaker or something. What's the best way to go about this, Dan? Giving him the benefit of the doubt that the t- doing what he needs to do to take care of himself and get better wasn't an act. He did that on his own. He did that before you started dating him again after having dated him three years ago when he was less healthy three years ago and you met him and he seemed better and you started dating him and he fell apart. Again, giving him the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't just an act. He wasn't just holding it together long enough to get you to agree to him moving in and then falling apart again. He's clearly able to take care of himself on his own. He can get his shit together if he has to. And right now, with you there, walking on eggshells, acting as caretaker and parent, he does not have to get his shit together. You should end this relationship. You can end this relationship in a loving, cautious, and conscientious way. You say that you're successful. That usually means in America that you are financially successful. Well, uh, not to make this too commodified or transactional, how much would it be worth to you to have him out of your life? How much would it be worth to you to ease him out of this relationship in a way that isn't as jarring as it might be for him and his lifestyle? Line up friends, 
that you have in common, alert his family, perhaps in advance, about your intentions, and then go to him and let him know you're ending the relationship, but you want him to be well. You are not chucking him out on the street. Line up whatever resources you can that he may need to address his mental health issues. Lay it all out in front of him. Tell him you're going to rent him an apartment for a few months while he gets his shit together. This isn't an endless financial commitment that you're making to him because you don't want to enable him not to take care of himself. So give him the start and end date of your continued financial, if not emotional support. And you can be there for him in other ways so long as you aren't being dragged into this in some sort of codependent way where you're never allowed to leave. You are allowed to leave this relationship and you are allowed to end a relationship because the other person isn't in good working order. Sometimes we're in long-term committed relationships and our partners have a crisis. And the standard isn't then, of course, no longer in good working order. You're out. It's over. The standard is I will help, but you have to do the work. If you see your partner doing what they need to do to get better and get healthy after they hit rock bottom or after they have a crisis or a mental health issue surfaces, well, then I think that there is some moral obligation to stick it out. There is some moral obligation to stay. They are trying. And if someone isn't trying and you begin to suspect that your presence in their life is enabling this lack of effort, this lack of trying, not getting better, not working on themselves, then it's often in their best interest for you to end the relationship, for you to go, for them to have to start taking care of themselves, which is what he did before you guys began to date again a year and a half ago. He took care of himself. He got his shit together. He did it then. He can do it again. This time he'll be doing it with a little bit more emotional and financial support perhaps, at least initially from you, than he had to do it when he did it on his own. But yeah, you can end this relationship. He may accuse you of being a bad person, and I think it would be evidence that you were a bad person if you just changed the locks one day on the apartment or house that you pay for. But if you offer him what help you can reasonably and if you line up some resources for him, if he's not capable or motivated at the moment to seek out those resources for himself and you call in the cavalry, let his family know what's going on. If he has family that he can rely on, let some mutual friends know what's going on if they can step up. Then you can end this relationship even in the face of accusations from him that you're being a bad person without actually being a bad person. Hi, Dan. I'm a uh, cisgendered straight male. Uh, just yesterday, my girlfriend and I broke up at her choosing. Uh, we, we were together almost two years. She's identified as queer with a strong preference for females, but obviously she had an attraction to me. Whenever we have sex, her stimulation came clitorally, never vaginally. So when we had intercourse, it was basically for me. And we've understood that, and I was fine with it. When quarantine happened back in March, we, we've never lived together. So we were forced to be apart for quite a long time. Um, about six weeks into quarantine, and we just missed each other so much we broke the rules and we met up at her house and we spent the weekend together and we had sex then and when the intercourse started she suddenly started crying 
And of course I stopped and basically came down to she just wasn't enjoying it. And that was about a month ago. And yesterday she decided she wanted to end it with me. So the reason I'm calling, I'm wondering, I offered to go without intercourse for a while till we can both come to an understanding. But she said she just doesn't want sex to be that anymore for her. Is she making a mistake? Because otherwise our relationship was great. It truly was. She told me so. She said I'm the best relationship she's ever had. Hey, it's Dan Savage returning your call. <laughs> Hi, Dan Savage. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. How are you? Uh, heartbroken. <laughs> but I'm all right overall, yeah. Okay, so th- th- there's been no developments. Since- yeah, uh, I uh, I sent her an email, you know, you know, respecting her feelings and everything, but kind of offering you know, my thoughts. And uh, she, mm-hmm. we, we talked some more after, and she said, you know, she thanked me for everything, very cordial, polite, and respectful. But she's just like, you know, I've been thinking about us a while, talking to friends and respected people and I just I believe I am a a lesbian Mm -hmm. so we uh, you know I I, I always consider myself a straight ally so it'd be very hypocritical of me to try to convince her otherwise at that point right right but you're you're allowed to be hurt you have a, oh, yeah. you're, you're entitled to your feelings about this. You made an emotional investment in this relationship at a time when she believed herself to be queer and leaning toward ladies, but also into dudes. Um, and, and she was still working through that and you respect that. Um, but you still were hurt, you know, in this process uh, of her determining, you know, who ultimately she is and who ultimately she wants to be with. And I think that that can be true that she's a lesbian and you can also have been the best relationship she's ever been in, even though it wasn't the right relationship. And, you know, people sometimes say, you know, this was the best relationship I've ever been in, or they say that about a relationship when they've just been dumped by someone else. And it, you know, people then want to say, well, obviously it wasn't the best relationship they've ever been in or they wouldn't have ended it. Well, sometimes people end the best relationship they've ever been in because you know, they've determined it's not the right relationship for them going forward, even if it is up to that time, the best relationship they've ever been in. So I think those feelings can be legitimate. You know, if she is lesbian identified, if that's, you know, if that's the answer that she's come to, there's not a lot of wiggle room for you here. You can't offer her a relationship where you don't have penetrative sex. It sounds like when you called, you know, you guys had intercourse and she began to cry and you attributed her tears or her upset to the intercourse itself. And maybe she was crying for, you know, the pain she knew that she was going to have to inflict on you, that, it, you know, having sex with you as much as she loves you was just emphasizing to her how, it, that it was impossible to stay in this relationship. You know, and all we, our, our sympathies always go to the people who've just been dumped. That is the worst heartbreak. That is the greater yeah. heartbreak. But often to to dump someone that you like or love and you've shared important memories and times with, that can be painful too for the person doing the dumping because of what they're going to lose and the connection and the affection and the history and the intimacy, but also the painful awareness that here's this person who loves me and that I love and I'm going to put them through the worst thing 
maybe the worst thing they've ever been through by ending this relationship, which I need to do not just for myself, but also for them. Cause you wouldn't want to be with her for 40 years going forward. If the relationship right. was wrong or made her miserable, you love her. You want right. her to be happy. And if she couldn't be happy with you, you want her to be happy with someone. <sighs> yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, you know, she stated she wants to be friends, and I said I, I want to eventually get there. But you know, I said I need some time to mourn and, and you know distance for a bit. And she said she's more than happy to give me the time I need. Uh, any advice on on getting there? Because right now, if I saw her, I'd just be I just want to hug her and kiss her. And yeah, don't see her. That would be my yeah. advice. Your impulse to 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 wait and wait a a good long while, at yeah. least six months to a year before you okay. have a tentative coffee date. You know, uh, before you get together at a time and a moment where you know there's clear brackets. You know, it's not an open ended evening of dinner and drinking and hanging out. It's like a quick coffee in the middle of a work day, so you guys can see if you know being together is painful for you or painful for her. And it's always probably going to be at least in the short run, a little more painful for you as the dump yeah. party. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to put that off for a year. And uh, if you listen to the show, you've heard me talk, you know, the advice I give people when they've been dumped, except for go to the gym, which right now we're not supposed to do. <laughs> right. Um, it's all the same, you know, binge watch movies, eat some ice cream, um, identify the three or four friends who will let you just, pour your heart out to them, but tell them in advance only to give you a month to do that, to really wallow. And then you want them to pull you up by the lapels and tell you to change the subject or shut up or ask somebody else how they're doing or talk about something else. But, but you need to get, have a couple of people in your life who understand that like for the next four weeks, I am going to be a broken record and an annoying broken record. And you're going to indulge me. And that's slightly transactional because the understanding, and I think it should be explicit, is when this happens to you and it happens to all of us, I will do this for you too. I will be the person you can call at two in the morning and wake up because you need to talk. And then I will be the person three weeks or four weeks after that middle of the night phone call who tells you to shut up. Let's, you know, go see a movie if that's possible. (laughs) <laughs> Again, sometime soon or go to the gym or go for a walk or go for a bike ride. Let's like do something else. But yeah, you got to grieve it. The only way through it is through it. You got to feel the fuck out of your feelings. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be angry. You know, if we lived in yeah. a world where particularly women have sometimes a harder time determining that they're lesbian or or bi because, you know, the heterosexual script is so, you know, pounded into them. And they're, you know, socialized to defer to men and not think about what they want or what the, who they are, but what their male partner might want and who their male partner is and how they can fit into their male partner's life, ego, psyche. And, uh, you know, you were set up for this pain, not by your girlfriend's maliciousness. She wasn't malicious, but by a culture where your girlfriend didn't feel entitled to work out who she was perhaps for a very long time. I don't know how old you guys are, but perhaps it took her, you know, decades longer than it might have. Hey, you can't decide if now is the best or worst time to be single. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of people who are single now and there's a lot of people who are going to be single as soon as this is over because there's yeah. a lot of people who are cooped up right now with people they're realizing they don't want to be with for the next six decades, particularly if we all have to get <laughs> locked in our apartments for the next six decades. Uh, so I would, 
I would encourage you, you know, in addition to hanging out with friends uh, after the month of Wallow is over to then get online and start online dating and interacting people, interacting with people who, you know, can give you a little hope for the future, even if you can't meet up with them presently. True. Yeah. I'm sorry you're going through this, but it's survivable. Look around. Yeah. I mean, you've probably been dumped before and survived it. And you know <laughs> lots of people who've been dumped and miserable and are now in new relationships that not only make them happy, but make them realize that getting dumped by that person at that point in their life was not just good for the person who dumped them, but good for them in the long run too. But that takes time. Very true. Thank you very much for the call. It means a lot. And thank you for everything you've done. You've been a big, you know, I, when I started with her, I, I credited you as, um, you know, uh, I probably would have never been able to impress her and, and you know, be uh, someone <laughs> she'd consider if it wasn't for listening to your show and reading. And so, you know, even though it didn't work out, I'm glad you can thank me for that because in a way, <laughs> you know, you're able to be in this relationship with her because of me and you're currently in pain because you're able to be in this relationship with her because of me. And so uh, I apologize for my part uh, in the pain you're feeling right now. But um, relationships don't have to last forever for you to have benefited and grown in them and to one day look back even on a relationship that ended that you didn't necessarily want to end and be grateful that it happened. And it, But again, like everything else, that just takes time to, to, to gain that sort of perspective and peace. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right as always. <laughs> <laughs> not always right but but good luck and uh thank you for calling and i'm sorry uh, well i appreciate it very much i hope you and your family are, are well through this terrible time in history <laughs> oh, thank you talk to you soon hey dan gay man calling from the east coast so i'm calling about trying to have a discussion with other gay men about sex during covid what's basically happened is bear week in provincetown which is a gigantic event has of course been canceled in July, but a lot of guys are planning to go anyway. I'm one of them, actually. I think of it as a very different vacation, kind of, you know, less crazy and more sunshine and hanging out with friends and, you know, restaurants that are all social distance and so on. But many of the guys in the Facebook group about guys who are going are talking about having a lot of sex and hooking up and... It worries me not just for their health, but this tiny town wants tourists to come but is desperately afraid when tourists come from all over and start doing things unsafely, like having sex, that um, it will bring corona um, to have a stronger presence in Provincetown. Add to this that, um, you know, Massachusetts has had a lot of really good success with a heavy lockdown and people really paying attention to masks. But now we're at a critical point. So I want to keep having this discussion, and I don't want to shame anybody. I'm all for a good hot sex and, you know, can't wait for next year and hope things change. But right now it just seems irresponsible and inconsiderate to the town. We spoke with Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis on the show last week, Dr. Dimitri from New York City Health. And they've been putting out a lot of really good, realistic, harm reduction-y advice about being sexual during this pandemic, that people are going to have sex and we need to direct them to have sex in ways that minimize and mitigate the risks that are built in. And the irony in your question and your call is two people getting together for sex, if they don't kiss, if they 
get a little kinky, wear masks while they're having sex, probably less dangerous than a bunch of people piling into a restaurant, even one that is doing allegedly social distancing. Everything we've learned over the last couple of weeks and a lot of stuff that's come in since my conversation with was recorded with Dr. Dimitri shows that in California, where they were doing a good job in flattening and the curve and driving it downward, it's exploded again because bars and restaurants opened. Even infections being traced back to bars and restaurants that were supposedly practicing social distancing, um, you know, asking their guests to practice social distancing, putting tables six feet apart. Well, people have to move through a restaurant and everything we know about this virus is that it's transferred most efficiently in enclosed spaces. All of these huge Black Lives Matter demonstrations haven't resulted in mass infection. And, you know, got to say it, all of the crazy wingnut demonstrations with the people carrying weapons at the Michigan State Capitol and other places also didn't result in mass infections. Gathering together in large groups outside, if people are wearing masks, which people were doing at the Black Lives Matters demos everywhere, doesn't seem to be an efficient mode of viral transmission with the, with this virus, with COVID-19. So I'm most concerned, listening to your questions, I'm most concerned less about the sex than about the travel. People are going to get on airplanes and fly to Provincetown. How are people who are across the country going to get there? I'm less concerned with the sex than I am with how are y'all going to feed yourselves? And people are going to be packed together in hotel rooms or guest houses. That seems more of a concern. You know, I think a lot of Dr. Dimitri's advice in the conversation that we had last week was really rooted in an assumption that if people were going to seek out sex, they weren't going to travel for it very far. Maybe they were going to get on a bike and ride two miles. They weren't going to pack together in Provincetown for unofficial bear week and be in hotels and guest rooms where there aren't kitchens and they're going to have to go to restaurants. Yeah, all of that seems riskier to me than the people who are planning to have sex. Although the people, you know, on this Facebook group that you talk about who are planning to go to unofficial bear week in Provincetown and still have sex anyway, are going to be having sex in an environment with all these other built in risks. So if they contract it on an airplane on their way there, if they contract it in their guest house, if they contract it in a restaurant, that of course ups the odds of them passing it on to a partner they met up with for sex. So, Yeah. If I were you, I would not be going to this event unless it was a reasonable drive and you had someplace safe to stay and you were packing in food or you knew enough places in Provincetown that were selling food to go in a safe way for you to get your food and maintain social distance from everybody else in that tiny little town with the narrow little streets by the beach. Yeah seems to me that you are attaching more risk and concern to sex because that's always sexier to think about the risks of sex than everything else that's going on around these men who are still planning to go to this event that is canceled to have sex with people that they probably shouldn't be having dinner with, much less sex with. Hi, Dan. So my boyfriend and I have been together about two and a half years now, and we both are interested in us having some kind of threesome or foursome or or something where he gets to see me having sex with somebody else and I would see him having sex with somebody else. But every time he wants to plan it, I start getting really freaked out. I think 
part of Catholic guilt. It's part of, I guess, trying new things sexually that I'm not completely sure about. But I know that I want to do it. I just figure maybe if I'm on like Molly or something, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. What kind of advice do you have for somebody who's starting out and is really nervous to have sex with more than one person with your partner specifically? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Jay Jordan is a comedian who's appeared on Comedy Central, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. His debut comedy album, Jay Jordan, y'all, debuted number one on iTunes. His writings appeared in The New Yorker, McSweeney's, and he is a Catholic, so he's qualified to tackle this question with me from our fellow Catholic. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, good. Uh, culturally, I'm a hybrid. I'm Baptist and Catholic, but not practicing either well. But yeah. Well, I'm 100% Catholic and not practicing. <laughs> I, I describe myself as culturally Catholic, but I really enjoyed your stand-up and you, you riff about being Catholic. So when I heard this question, I thought, why the fuck not have Jay Jordan on to, to dance? Oh, yeah. I think... From a guilt standpoint, Baptists like celebrate a lot. Catholic is a lot of like self-reflection and you tell one person one thing. It's just you, that person, God, Jesus, Mm. Mary and the Holy Ghost. So it's like a cabal. But like Baptists, we like they, I guess like that's how my family, they celebrate a lot. There's still lots of secrets, but there's a bit more joy on the other side of the pendulum. Yeah, there's not a lot of joy in a sort of high Catholic <laughs> mass. There's not a lot of clapping or yeah. stomping. Oh. I had to sit through a lot of them. I actually got taken to a Baptist church once when I was a child by uh, the friends of the family, a black family on the south side of Chicago, and I was terrified. Because church did not look like this. And I thought everybody was having a heart attack all around me and hit at the back. Let's talk about this person's dilemma. She wants to have a three-way with her partner and she's excited about it. But whenever he starts to plan it, she panics and thinks it might be the Catholic guilt. And, you know... You're queer, I'm gay, like, we're Catholic. You know, sometimes I'm annoyed by the straight people who call in with like, oh my God, I'm so paralyzed by Catholicism that I can't get yeah. past it to have, you know, this off-the-shelf, standard, boring, rote, straight guy fantasy. <laughs> the, 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 the three-way. Like, I had to tear it all up just to be 15 years old and kiss a boy. <laughs> and you're, and you're think- paralyzed by Catholic guilt as an adult. Yeah, I think the fear of, I think the fear of like the MMF or MFF situation is a little different because the caller never specified, but they did go on to say perhaps a foursome. So this could be like a full on swap, uh, arguably probably in the same room. I think that you just need to give in to lust in a way where it's like a release valve. I think that's the best way to do it. Like a pressure cooker, just say, okay, for this period of time, this next 12 hours, I fully commit to every sensual, hedonistic, defiant impulse. And then afterwards, I'm back to doing the sign of the cross. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think Catholics are actually pretty good at that. You, you, yeah. Isn't Catholicism rooted in the basis of like like adoption and like and like saying I've erred? Yeah, but, absolution. Because I admit, yeah, absolution. I erred, uh, but my admission of that and my for and my like request for forgiveness 
is proof that I'm bettering myself. Right, like, right. Even, yeah. Like, I that's mean, a lot of Catholicism is like, go ahead and do the bad thing, but have the decency to feel bad about the bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the original sin, I mean, the, the original sin was a threesome. So, I mean, just like, <laughs> get into it, girl. Although they made it kind of metaphorical. They sort of dressed it up and made the other made the other guy, the snake, a snake reality. Um, let, let's talk about two things that I think are going on. She suggests maybe that she get past this by getting on Molly. And I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I First, threesome needs to be sober. You're going to be high off of all of the neurochemicals produced by having like a person who's not your husband just touch you in front of your husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you should rely on those. You don't want to go with impaired judgment. My other, listen to your call, my other like bit of advice from Danland would be she says she panics whenever he starts to plan it. And I think maybe caller feels a little out of control here that she may have, you know, created a monster by giving her partner permission to begin to set this up and she should take some control back. Why doesn't she set it up? Why isn't she looking for the third? Well, and I would even say, why doesn't she tell him exactly what she wants, even if it's not as explicit as her, like making the point of contact and like buying, like getting the hotel. It's her saying, Ooh, I like this person for that. What about this? Have we thought about this? What should I wear? Mm-hmm. It can, you can still fold in parts of it being a dialogue with your partner, but you can, you can kind of take the reins on this, both figurative and depending on what you're into, literally. And sometimes people get nervous about a, a three-way that they've fantasized about or you know, set in motion, perhaps, the other person setting up, because they haven't talked about what's going to happen. And yeah. you need to have a long, the call caller, you need to have a long conversation with your partner about what is going to happen. Like, will there be penetrative sex? Are you going to watch your partner fuck somebody else? Or do you want to hold that back for you? Is it just oral and rolling around with the other person? What happens? And where's the ripcord? If it's not going well and you want to call it off, that has to be okay. And you have to not have a signal. You just need to be able to say, I want to stop. And the third yeah. needs to know that that's something that they can say too if it's not working for them and your partner. So if you go into it knowing you know, only these things are going to happen, there's no renegotiating once it starts. And uh, if it needs to end, if you're not feeling good about it, you can end it without guilt and without you know, that more Catholic guilt, without tapping into that <laughs> deep vein of Catholic guilt that exists in all of us. Um, Jay, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, please. So your partner, you've had a boyfriend for a long time, right? Yes, eight years. Oh my gosh, congratulations. For last November, yes. Congratulations. Uh, This is the personal question part of this personal question. All right, let's go. You're a a male couple in New York. Yes. I'm just going to make an assumption here. (laughs) You guys have had three ways. Yes, multiple. Our our first threesome was actually in Mississippi with another college student and how did it go it went very well it was it was a guy that i had hooked up before that my boyfriend always thought was cute and they had flirted before so there was never i mean i understood compersion before i even knew how to articulate it Mm -hmm. because there was no reason for me to be upset i thought it was hot it was fun it was sort of like decadent and it was because a lot of queer culture now 
because people, I guess, have studied queer theory or they're like aware of it or they have Twitter is rooted in a bit of like the smashing of like heteronormative culture. So a threesome for me in New York City as a person who works in the arts with a boyfriend and I, and I like a fun little queer circle of friends, it's not that it's blase, but it's not a game changer. It's almost homonormative. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It is almost homonormative. There are a bunch of jokes already about people that have their respective thirds. And we have a, I mean, I technically, we also have a, um, I would, uh, would consider my secondary partner. And so like we form sort of a triad currently. So some of the best sex I've had in this quarantine world has been with three consenting individuals, myself included. That's awesome. I love that your first one went so well. I love that you have a regular, very special guest star. That's kind of how Terry and I have always done it. Um, But about that first one, you know, somebody you'd already been with, somebody that your boyfriend already knew, these are great, you know, these are great things to look for in your first threesome partner, not like some stranger from planet Mars that you're never going to ever have to see again, but somebody you have an established connection with and some comfort around. And then the threesome is likelier to go better. I think a lot of straight people want to have that threesome with someone who they know is a hundred percent safe and they've never met before and will never see again. And I think that ups the chances of it being a disaster. If it's someone that you're not already comfortable with, but you need to have compersion. You need to be able to tap into that. Can you define that for people who haven't heard that word before? Brand new listeners. Yeah. Well, so it's receiving pleasure and or comfort through seeing your partner receive pleasure and or comfort. That doesn't necessarily have to be found solely within you. Right. That means watching your partner get fucked by somebody else and liking it. <laughs> and liking it and liking it for them. It's also not completely just scopophilic and voyeuristic. It's mm-hmm. not just, oh, I'm so happy to watch someone fuck. It's like, I'm happy that they're getting fucked. I'm happy that they're like experiencing right. not, that. Not jealous and controlling about your partner's capacity to experience pleasure. Like you give your partner pleasure and then sometimes you watch someone else give your partner pleasure and you like some people who shouldn't be having freeways are enraged by that because that's my job. I'm supposed to be the pleasure center at all times and the pleasure giver. But to take joy in watching your partner receive pleasure from someone else, that's compersion. Yeah. And it's a really, I think it's the concept that helps to also make people realize that sex is something to be enjoyed. It's not something to kind of check off of a list. Mm-hmm. Like there's this weird need kind of now with a lot of uh, straight couples who are adventuring out. They go like, we need to have a threesome when it, the way the caller stated it is a bit more preferred. You should walk to have a threesome. It should be something that both of you are actively uh, in cooperation about, but also you want to experience that. Can we keep you around for a couple more questions just for fun? Oh, yeah. Hi, Dan. I am a 29-year-old semi-straight-ish male in a major city in the United States that ever since this pandemic has just had his libido fall off the map completely. I... Sure, there was that period at the beginning um, where I was having a lot of fun exploring a lot of things with myself, but I had gotten out of a recent breakup that was weird and left me weird. And I would say after that first week or two of personal fun, it's been just nothing. I have no interest. There's nothing. There's no interest in, in, in any sort of people that I would normally be interested in, even with the return to work. So... 
you know, I've been back to work, and I don't know. I don't know if it's just processing everything or the stress of all of the situations going on uh, personally, but I miss it. So, Jay, as a, as a gay person myself, I often have – this is how I got into this crazy line of work. Straight friends would come to me for advice about their straight sex lives. <laughs> Has that happened to you since you've been out? Yeah, it's happened – but people confided in me. I've had people tell me about their their like their bi feelings. I've had people tell me about their queer leanings. I've had people tell me that they and their like my guy friends, they and their girlfriend really want to try this. So people, I'm not, and I'm not. I don't consider myself a sex guru. It's just that I guess like once you aren't straight, people go, oh, well, you must be an expert on enjoying this stuff because we're not supposed to. Well, yeah, it's not. It's not only that they're not supposed to. I've always said like, all gay sex is recreational sex, and it's all about pleasure. <laughs> and straight people sometimes have this hang-up that sex it can be pleasurable, but it has to mean something else, something more important, something that elevates it above mere animalistic rutting and pleasure. And they look at us out there rutting for pleasure, and they go, "What do they know that we don't? What do they allow themselves <laughs> that we don't? What can I learn from them?" And that's how I got into line work. All right, so this is a pretty simple question. <laughs> Libido tanked because of COVID. How do you get it back? The tide is out. How does he get it to roll back in? Uh, you self-explore. You figure out other means and like where your sexual sexual desire is going. There's also like a bunch of fear right now, mm-hmm. and it's a fear that I guess Dan and I are aware of as queers of a certain age. Before Discovery and Trubada, there was also this incredible kind of like in the back of your mind fear concerning. HIV and AIDS as a person who kind of knew you were queer no matter what mm-hmm. and that definite that shame and that fear definitely could curtail a lot of like impulses in people and like destroy some people's libidos and some people went the other way and completely gave into like the chasm that was like the fear mm-hmm. of death um, and I feel like this caller is experiencing a little bit of that and I can speak to it from that uh, so find out I would like watch a porn that has always done it for you. Find like the one Pornhub clip. I don't know if there's, I'm not trying to sponsor them. Find the one <laughs> porn clip online from a person who hopefully is making good money as a sex worker because we shouldn't be watching stolen or pirated material. But find that clip. Find that, and, like, find see, that porn clip somewhere where there's a hub for pornography, but we're not saying yeah. exactly where that hub for pornography <laughs> yeah. might be. Yeah, and watch it. Watch it and, like, try to... I guess try to, like, uh, like use, like, the the sense of memory of seeing that clip and be like, can I get back to the place that this clip used to take me? Because mm-hmm. I've, I've done that during quarantine. I've, I've, I've played a couple of the hits, the classics <laughs> as it were, and they still work. I mean, and it's fun. I think that's great advice. Also, I would, uh, the only thing I would add is it's okay right now. I think if the, if you're not feeling it to, to, to not feel it and not pathologize yourself for not feeling it. There's actually some research out of the Kinsey Institute where yeah, everyone expected that people would be fucking like mad right now, that there'd be a, a COVID baby boom in nine months. And what they found is that a, a larger number of people, not the majority, of, but a plurality, are experiencing low desire in, in the face of all of this existential dread, which isn't just about COVID. It's also about fucking Trump. 
and the, yeah. the state of the world and the climate that some people are are tanking right now. And that's okay. You don't have to force yourself to feel sexual at this moment if you don't. But maybe look at a little porn every once in a while. Maybe stay engaged, and and, and you know set the right conditions so that when the you know when it comes back, when your libido kicks back into gear, you're there for it. Yeah, and I don't think you have to worry about like this is much. I think this is a much more self-involved journey than it has to be like with a person. I know that the caller said that they were going back to work. And that now that there kind of is like the chance for like meetings with other people, like they were worried about their libido being affected during encounters with other people. I think the the first step is like a bit more self, uh, a bit more introspection. Hey, Dan, 30 something, cis straight female here. My question for you is if I should tell my best friend of the past 20 years that I am in love with him, even though He's had a girlfriend for five years and they live together on the opposite coast. I came to this realization about six months ago. Prior to that, I kind of knew in my heart that someday we'd be together, but I repressed any sort of attraction and pursued other relationships. We met in middle school and it was a really strong bond, something I couldn't put my finger on, but I was just so sad when I couldn't see him or be in the same classes as him. And then in high school and college, we were close. I was in a toxic relationship with somebody else and he confronted me and was like, you should leave him. I am in love with you. Let's be together. We could have something great. I said no. And he actually was in another relationship at the time too, which made it more complicated. So we just stopped talking altogether for two years. And then we broke up with our respective partners, became friends again, even moved in together. But we never addressed that elephant in the room. Though as times passed, our friends have addressed it and we just kind of shrug it off and have this sort of dependent relationship on one another when we lived together. And I think I would have tried to date him had I not been processing some other emotional trauma I was going through. But while that happened, he met a girl and he moved across the country to be with her. And that's who he's with now. But I still get indicators that he might have feelings for me. One time he told me he wasn't sure if he ever really experienced love, which is an interesting statement to say when you're in a relationship. He's also really wishy-washy when I try to talk about my feelings and other men that I've dated. And I feel like I should tell him I just kind of know we're supposed to be together, but I don't want to be a homewrecker. I don't want to lose my relationship with him. I'm also now friends with his girlfriend, and we have mutual friends. What should I do, Dan? Wow. Beautiful audio quality on that last <laughs> call. The 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 sound was as clear as the story is complicated. That's what happens when people use the voice memo app on their phones. The sound quality <laughs> is much better. Please use the voice memo app on your phones to record your questions and email them to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, you're at an impasse. I, I am not a big fan of cross-country confessions of love. I think it's... Uh, it's uh, the next time you see that individual, maybe you have a long conversation, but I, I've never advised anyone to make a big romantic gesture um, in the middle of a pandemic that involves you going to the opposite side of the country. Yeah, I think that's smart. 
there's only so long she can continue to bottle this up, though, I think. You know, the, the fear I is she may, it, yeah. she may tell him that she's the love of her life and he may be into that, which will bring its own set of complications, or he may shut it down and she rightly would fear rejection from this person that she believes is she now knows, despite having known for 20 years, lived with him for a while and never acted on this, that he's her destiny. But I wonder, you know, sometimes you have a crush on someone who's unavailable and far away uh, because you idealize them and you have this fantasy of who they are and the reality of them may not match up. Even the reality of them now, uh, you maybe you were into the reality of them when you lived together may not match up to this really kind of escape fantasy that he represents. Yeah. And there was the, the tiny truth bomb of, um, him saying he'd never been in love, which is a bit of a red flag because even if it was an attempt to get her to say she had been, it, it's incredibly manipulative. And if it wasn't, then it's an indicator that from an emotional standpoint, the feelings aren't reciprocated enough to move or to like blow up a current relationship. Let's zoom out and look at one more thing about this call that I thought was interesting. The options on the table because the guy has a girlfriend is to keep her mouth shut or be a homewrecker. You just mentioned that you're basically in a triad relationship. There's a third option. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could be the third option. <laughs> right. Maybe it isn't homewrecker or not. Maybe, you know, no relationship or a homewrecker relationship. Maybe, you know, you're friends with the girlfriend. Maybe what is possible here is a triad. Yeah, or a non or a monogamish situation where she is aware of you guys's seemingly romantic but non-physical interaction because a, a physical desire didn't seem to be paramount in any of the uh, the information that was displayed. So if it's if it's just having someone to confide in, someone uh, that's kind of like the next level of friendship of intimacy. Uh, and maybe that it can morph into something sexual. I didn't get like home record vibes at all. I didn't either. All right. Before we let you go, I have one last question. One last thing I want to confront you about. Oh, do it. The article you wrote for the New Yorker, nine responses to, but what about Chicago? I already know what this is going to be about. <laughs> I already know what this is going to be about because Republicans get mad at the entire article and really cool people from Chicago get mad at the deep dish, uh, <laughs> at the deep dish section. I of did. The that article. is what I, the article is a really great <laughs> retort to all those people when you want to talk about police violence uh, and the way black people can't live in this fucking country without some Karen calling the cops or threatening them. Um, and it's great responses to that bullshit argument that that conservatives constantly raise. Uh, it's you, should, a weird, you should make anybody who watches Fox News read this article. But I do want to confront you about the. Item five on the list of things you should say <laughs> to people who bring up Chicago. Fuck deep dish pizza. Uh, I, by that, I listen, I, we, are, we live in a sex positive society. Maybe I want to metaphorically <laughs> stick my penis in something that is as soft and warm and as comforting as a deep dish pizza. Maybe that's what I call one of my Chicago bottom jump offs when I go to visit and I do mm. shows with Danny. You I, don't know. I don't what know. I meant. I don't know. Where have you had deep dish pizza, <laughs> though? Have you ever had a good one? Because people do this thing where they fly into fucking O'Hare Airport, the deep dish pizza at the 
fucking airport shitty deep dish pizza and then they're like this is garbage it would be like getting sushi at a truck stop and then saying the japanese are crazy i have not had it since writing the article so if someone can take me to a great deep dish pizza spot when all of this is said and done i have faith in the american scientists and the good people of the midwest so if you guys can get me to a good deep dish pizza spot when i go to do comedy in Chicago, which will happen again because I love performing there. Uh, I'll, I'll take you guys up on that. And maybe I'll recant. I'll do a public admission of like wrongdoing. All right. Next time you play Chicago, because I'm going to be so anxious to get the fuck out of Seattle myself as well. Once we can start traveling again, let me know. I will meet you in Chicago. I will take you <laughs> to the places only Chicagoans know to get the good deep dish pizza and not the slop. Okay. Well, perfect. That sounds like a date. I'm into it. Jay Jordan, he's appeared on Comedy Central, The Tonight Show. Read his stuff at The New Yorker and McSweeney's. Go to his website, jjordan.com, and get his debut album, Jay Jordan, Y'all, which debuted number one on iTunes and is terrific. Jay, thank you so much. That was a blast. It was really fun having you on the show. Thank you. It was so good to hear you say y'all. That was the (laughs) delight for me. It was the best. How did I do? How's how's my y'all? It's good. It's almost as good as deep dish pizza is. Am I saying that correctly? Does yeah. that sound enthused? Yes, deep dish pizza is good. Say it, say it. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, Dan. 24, female. I need to end a relationship, and I don't know how. Um, I have been with my boyfriend for eight months, and I think he's an amazing person. And we've had a great and beautiful relationship you know like probably my first big love but I'm not happy anymore and I don't know how to explain that feeling to him and for a while I thought it would just go away but it's been two months that I can't shake it but I like just feel like I'm done and how do you tell someone you feel like you do love they that you don't want to be with them anymore. And how do you think about hurting someone? I'm typically not in the business of arguing with someone who wants to end a relationship. If you want to end a relationship, you have every right to end the relationship. And once you know you are going to end a relationship, you should end it promptly. But everything you say about this guy in this relationship sounds like it's brought you joy. And in the last couple of months, and there's been a lot going on in the last couple of months that might just generally destabilize or upset a person in the last couple of months, you've just been unhappy. Well, a lot of us in relationships and not in relationships have been sort of unhappy and subject to a lot of free floating, economic, viral, political anxiety. And I wonder I just want you to ask yourself if your unhappiness is about him or you're attaching it to him in a way that may not be fuck being fair to him in a way that may not be fair to you. I wish you'd left your number. I would have called you back. I would have liked to have just sort of drilled down on what exactly is making you unhappy the relationship is making you unhappy or you just don't have the emotional bandwidth right now because of all of the political, economic, viral anxiety and pressure that's sloshing around out there and you don't have the bandwidth right now to be in a relationship. It's taxing you in a way that you can't be taxed right now. You can exit the relationship. You can tell them that old cliche in this case would be true. It's not you. It's me. 
And right now I can't do this. I can't bear the emotional burden of being in a relationship right now. And being in the relationship isn't helping me bear up under the strain of all of this other bullshit right now. And I just need to be on my own. That very well could be true. But I really want you to think about it. Think about why it is that you're upset and why it is you're unhappy and to interrogate your unhappiness. And if it's about him or his presence in your life is exacerbating it through no fault of his own, definitely end it. But if it's not about him and something about his presence in your life helps you bear up under some of this unbearable anxiety and happiness of this moment, I'm not telling you to stay in the relationship. I'm just telling you to maybe to take a day or two to think about not whether you want to end the relationship because you do and I think you should if you want to, but whether you're ending it for the right reasons, I guess I am telling you to think about maybe not ending the relationship. If indeed it has been a source of joy over the last six months, think about the last two months. What is making you unhappy? If it's him or just the weight of him, end it. If it's not him and it's not the weight of him, you may not be doing yourself any favors by upping the amount of unhappiness in your life by ending things with somebody who had been making you happy. I hope you would talk to a counselor. You sound very distraught. I would hope you, I hope you would also speak with not just your friendly neighborhood sex advice podcast asshole. That would be me, but also perhaps to unpack and get to the root of your unhappiness with a counselor. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21 year old woman with a question about kinks. So for as long as I can remember, I've fantasized about being taken advantage of by an older man in a position of power over me, like a teacher, friend's parent, or babysitter. And sometimes in those fantasies, I'm a little girl. Um, I've never been able to say that out loud before because, quite frankly, I hate myself for being into that. I would never wish my fantasy on anyone, of course, because it's such a vile thing to have happen to you. But for some reason, the thought of it happening to me really turns me on. Actually, the only way I can come is by putting myself into those fantasies. So I guess my question is twofold. Um, First, am I a sick person for having this as my fantasy? Because I kind of feel like I am. And second, despite really not liking the fact that I'm interested in what I am, I want to meet someone to roleplay this scenario with. It's been like rattling around in my head for so long, I feel like I need to just find someone and try it. So how and where can I find a guy willing and enthusiastic to help me with my fantasy while making sure the guy isn't a creep? I can't imagine a guy who would be into being the perpetrator in this kind of scenario who isn't a total creep. And maybe that's hypocritical of me, but I feel like wanting to be the victim is at least a little bit better. Disgust and arousal are very closely linked. You're disgusted by your fantasies. You're also aroused by your fantasies. And that seems contradictory on its face, but it's not. Disgust is a powerful emotional response that we're not necessarily in charge of. And arousal is the same. It's a powerful, erotic, emotional response that we are not in charge of. No one chooses their kinks. No one chooses their fantasies. In a way, we are chosen by them, sort of, kind of. Something about a scenario, a substance, a, a look, an article of clothing, an emotional or social or power dynamic 
snaps into our erotic imaginations, often prepubescence in a way that we are not in charge of. And so the question isn't, am I a bad person or good person for having these fantasies? The question and where bad or good gets sorted out is how do I express them? Do I express these things safely and with other consenting adults who also take pleasure from them and in a contained way if I built a firewall around my fantasy so you know whatever it is that I enjoy doesn't slosh out, splash other people who may be traumatized by these things or, or not want to see or think about these things? And have I built you know kind of a firewall around my fantasy so they don't damage other aspects of my psyche? Do I understand that these are – contained that this is the erotic imagination at play and it's not an indictment of me as a moral actor or a person, sounds like you haven't successfully built that firewall yet. You worry that because these things that if they happened in reality would be morally outrageous and a crime because these things turn you on, you are culpable somehow or you are a bad person. No, no, you are not in the same way that somebody with rape slash ravishment fantasies on either side of that power dynamic isn't a bad person so long as they're expressing them with other consenting adults who derive joy and pleasure from them. The same way that people with master-slave family, it is wrong, morally outrageous to own a person. People fantasize about being owned in that way and they can't realize their fantasies around being owned, being property without somebody who has the kind of yin-yang fantasy about owning. And often in you know, BDSM and Dom Subland, a lot of the people who are playing the role of the Dom are, you know, the cliche goes, frustrated subs. They know what the sub wants because they themselves have a sub's imagination and a sub's fantasy lives. Most people who fantasize about power dynamics, about power imbalances and eroticize them, fantasize about not having the power. And it makes a kind of rough sense. You know, we go through life terrified. You know, we start life powerless as children and then we go through life you know, trying to assert our own power and control and terrified of it being taken from us. And some people's erotic imaginations seize on that. It, it become, you know, it gets the adrenaline going to think about it and, and it gets, you know, the juices flowing for some of us. And that's okay. And I sometimes think people with your particular fantasy, which is called DDLG, Dom, Daddy, Little Girl, with consenting adults playing both those roles – who judge themselves because they know that others who didn't understand that this was consensual would judge them if they knew. Well, other people who don't share your fantasies don't have to know. And you don't have to worry about their judgment. And you don't get to sit in judgment of their fantasies that may be squicky or involve eroticized fucked up power dynamics because you don't know about their fantasies. And I promise you they have their own shit, their own kinky weirdnesses too. As your question about how do you find somebody who's into this is not a terrible person, well, there you are. You're into it. You're not a terrible person. You understand the limits here. You understand that in reality this would be morally outrageous and a crime and you have no interest in this happening to you or anybody else. In reality, somebody who has these fantasies, who shares these fantasies, who may be a sub who's playing the role of the dom, is capable of the same – moral judgment. You know, there's sometimes people who are masochists who are afraid that, you know, if they get with a sadist, that the sadist is going to be an out of control serial killer. And it has been my experience with sadists that a lot of them are really hyper self-conscious about being good and decent people in a way because they've wrestled with, you know, the contradiction between their desires, you know, their desire to inflict pain and their sense of themselves as a good person. 
and their desire to be a good person. And some of them, some say this, overcompensate by being extra good people because they feel a certain burden or a certain responsibility or to themselves or a need to, to assure themselves that they aren't evil because the world calls them evil because all sadists are evil. And it ain't necessarily so. Would you meet somebody who wanted to engage in this kind of role play who is a terrible person? Possibly. You can also meet people who want vanilla, missionary, heterosexual intercourse with a spouse in a dark room in the middle of the night who's a terrible person. And so you need to go into any interaction with a potential sexual partner with all of your bullshit detectors firing and watching out for those red flags regardless of the kind of play you want to engage in. But if you're going to engage in the kind of play that eroticizes a power imbalance where there's a sub-dynamic going on or eroticizes you know, physical helplessness, you're going to want to be a little extra vigilant that you don't wind up in bed or in you know, the erotic control of someone who is an abuser or an asshole taking advantage of this kind of play. Not interested in the play but interested in the power and the control for its own sake. Uh, your fantasy – is problematic. It is going to make most people uncomfortable. It is going to disgust many people. The fact that it disgusts you, yeah, that's linked to and seems to exist in near exact proportion to how much it arouses you. And what do you do with that? You need these fantasies in order to climax. Maybe if you allowed yourself to act on them, they would seem less powerful, less threatening, less forbidden. And you would be able to climax through other kinds of power play fantasies that aren't this one that you've attached so much meaning and, and self-condemnation to, so much judgment coming back at you about. I'm sure after you come, there's that wave of self-loathing, recrimination. When you've come fantasizing about these things, no one has been harmed and pleasure and joy have been created. Solo pleasure, solo joy so far. You can make that happen in a safe and consensual way with another person, with a partner where no harm is done and nothing but joy, pleasure, intimacy, and connection are created. And then despite how fucking squicky and fucked up the fantasy is or the reality of your fantasy might be, you've done no harm. You've actually kind of bank shot, weird, fucked up, erotic imaginations are what they are. You've done good. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. My friends and I were hoping you'd weigh in on something. We, Whenever we go to the pet store to pick up a new chew toy for our dog, we joke about how much some of the dog toys look like sex toys. The Nylabone Galileo looks a lot like a dick, and the big beef bone has a humorously sized flared base. Is there some secret economy of dog toys being sold as undercover sex toys, or are my friends and I just filthy-minded overthinkers? Pervertibles. That's what you call things that you find in... Stores that aren't sex stores, that aren't sex toy shops, that could be pressed into service as a sex toy, a cucumber at the grocery store, potentially a pervertible. Doesn't have a flared base. You're going to be careful with that one. But a pervertible, a spatula. Some dominatrixes use spatulas as impact toys, and they're a lot cheaper than buying paddles, a lot stingier than paddles too. But spatulas, totally a pervertible. Dog toys at the pet shop, yeah, Absolutely. Probably some of these things can and have been used as sex toys, as insertables. I wouldn't recommend it. You know, one of the issues that we constantly deal with in sex toy land is what is this thing I'm putting in my body made of? Is it made with 
toxic materials that can leach during play into my ass or into my vag. And you have to be careful about that. You want to make sure you're using high quality, usually silicone sex toys as insertables and not just shove anything up your twat. And I imagine that whatever they're making dog toys, squeeze toys out of in the factories where those things are made, most likely in China, they're not being really careful about materials. So dog toys might be pervertible. If you're going to use a dog toy as a pervertible, as an insertion toy, you might want to roll a condom over it first. All right, before I get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. Ross, our Beatle 08, tweeted that after listening for years, he upgraded to a Magnum subscription this week. A big thank you to Ross and all our Magnum subscribers. All right, Shannon Duffy tweets, if you've never listened to the Savage Lovecast, give it a try. Dan is brilliant and funny and gives excellent love, sex, relationship advice, and his political rants at the top of every show are cathartic and quotable. Thank you very much, Shannon, for all those compliments that I am accepting now with no grace because... I am too Catholic to accept a compliment and to have to read one out loud on my own show. Oh my God, I'm going to have to lie down in a dark room after this is all over. Laird C. tweets, the opening from Fake Dan Savage on last week's Lovecast has me feeling really depressed. When did people forget what empathy is? Prioritizing their perceived right to not wear a face mask over lives that are being lost and ruined as a result. My apologies to you, Laird. I bet the opening of this week's show depressed you too. And finally, Solitary Dukier tweets, Thanks for the shout-out to Rwanda at the top of the show last week, Dan. As an American living in Rwanda, I am shocked daily by the difference between the robust COVID-19 response here as compared to the USA. I am worried sick about my parents back home. Hey, everybody, remember when Donald Trump, that racist piece of shit, called countries with majority black populations shitholes? In addition to the African nation of Rwanda, the African nations of Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, even war-torn, as they say, Somalia, all doing a better job containing the virus and stopping its spread than we are. And New Zealand this week, not an African country for Americans who didn't study geography, New Zealand declared itself coronavirus-free and lifted all restrictions. None of those countries are shitholes. They also have the advantage of not being run by shitheads. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast and now your response calls. Hey, Dan, I just wanted to call and give a response to episode 715 on women disclosing abortions to their male partners. I think if it's safe for you to do, it's a really good idea. We're in our 30s now, but back in his late teens, early 20s, my boyfriend actually had two different women he was with who got pregnant and had abortions and they made him aware of it and it totally changed his sex practices moving forward. For example, we've been together almost a decade and we still use condoms and the pill because he just doesn't want to take a chance on having a baby he's not ready for and he knows he's really lucky about his previous situation. Hey, Dan, just, just listening to the Savage Lovecast today, I've heard the advice about HPV vaccine. Really wanted to stress to everybody how important that is. My doctors told me even up to age 50, we should get it. Um, I'm one of those men who, who was too old to get it when they, with the original recommendation. My parents never even thought about it. And yet I ended up with tonsil cancer at age 47. Very high survival rate. I've beaten it. 
but I lost over a year of my life as a result. My career is stalled. My, there's just so many things that you don't think about that are an impact of taking the time out to beat cancer, even if it's a, what some would consider a minor cancer. So I can't encourage everybody enough. Go to your doctor. Don't wait for somebody to tell you. Take your sons to get that vaccine. Don't wait for the doctor to ask you. Be proactive with this one. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the woman in episode 715 who was worried about bidets contributing to UTIs. First off, I feel her pain. I had a UTI off and on for like a year, and now I'm super paranoid and careful to avoid them. But I'm also an extremely happy bidet owner. We got one maybe four years ago, and I've had zero issues with UTIs. It's been wonderful. Um, and as a bonus, we don't get stressed when toilet paper is impossible to find due to a pandemic. You should buy one and enjoy. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Better yet, use the Voice Memo app on your phone and email us your question or comment at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. On Thursday, July 30th, coming right up, Nancy and I will be doing another Savage Love live stream on Zoom, and we want you to be there. Send us your burning questions early to live stream at savagelovecast.com, or send them to us live during the show, and we will try our best to get to as many of your questions as we can. Go to savagelovecast.com slash events to get your tickets. And if you started making your short film for next year's hump, now is the perfect time We've extended the deadline for submissions to December 4th. So get humping, get filming, have some fun during this stressful time. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submissions to find out more about the extra credit items, the big cash prizes, and how to make and submit the perfect film for Hump. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Jay Jordan on Twitter at Jay Jordan. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. I'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.